0: I'm Jim Pullen
1: and I'm Beth Bartel. This is KGNU's How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, July 3rd, 2012.
0: Today's show will be focused on mountain wildfires. What makes them so hard to control and how we might prevent them.
2: Fires are part of our natural world. The real question is, how do we live with them?
0: We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science.
1: When you bite a spicy pepper and your mouth bursts into sensory flames, it's because chemicals in the pepper open ion channels within your nerve cell membranes, and these let in more signals for heat. When the dentist drills away while your mouth feels numb, it's because dental drugs have shut off the flow of ions that would otherwise signal pain. The gatekeeper that regulates the passage of ions is called an ion channel protein. Scientists have assumed all it does is open or shut ion flow. Now, researchers at Colorado State University have identified a new role that involves domains.
3: These domains have function in the trafficking of other proteins in the cell. It has actually nothing to do, maybe, with the function of letting ions go through the channels. It's a completely different function.
1: CSU scientist Diego Kraft is part of the team looking at ion channel protein domains. He likens these domains to DIA air traffic control. DIA tracks and guides planes to the airport, and it looks like ion channels, ion channel protein domains track and guide proteins to the domains. Air traffic control decides just how many and just which planes take off and land at DIA ion protein channel domains, decide just how many and just which proteins get to stay in the domain or else be recycled. And there's more.
3: It's like when you land, you land on DIA. Once you leave the airport, traffic control doesn't have anything to say where you go.
1: In the same way, once a protein leaves the ion channel protein domain and goes inside the cell, the domain no longer controls it. But until then, the, domain matters, the domains matter in mysterious ways, as shown by how potassium ion channels respond when someone suffers a stroke.
3: If a person is having a stroke, these domains that were there of these potassium channels will very fast dissolve, and these domains will cease to exist and all the ion channels will go their own way. This is an example of how when something is perturbed in the health of a cell, then there is a lot of events that will lead to dramatic changes so that the cell can adjust and try to perform in a different way.
1: By learning more about ion channel protein domains, Kraft's team hopes to understand more about diseases such as epilepsy and stroke. The research appears this month in Molecular Biology of the Cell.
0: Driving an electric vehicle is about to get just a little bit easier. This time, it is a regulatory, not technical, advance, and Colorado is leading the way. It used to be that only electrical utilities could sell electricity, so if an entrepreneur or a store owner wanted to install an electric vehicle charging station, they weren't allowed to resell the electricity. But now Governor Hickenlooper has backed a change in the law that overrides this restriction. So starting in August, for a $5,000 fee, outlets can obtain the required permit to allow them to resell power. The change is part of a larger electric vehicle readiness campaign aimed at helping to clear Denver's air by promoting battery-powered transportation. This story was first reported in the Denver Post last week. just last month commemorated the 10th anniversary of the Hayman fire, which was considered the most destructive fire in Colorado history. Until a few weeks ago. Then the High Park fire became our most destructive fire, and then, just a week later, the Waldo Canyon fire took the title. As of this morning, there are nine fires burning throughout the state, four of which are still only partially contained. And we're only at the start of the summer. Do we have more of this to come this year? And what about the years to come? Today we talk to two fire experts of very different sorts about why we may be entering a period of megafires and what we may or may not be able to do about it.
1: Michael Kotis is a journalist who has been reporting on wildfires since 2003 when he embedded with a hotshot team. He is currently covering the Colorado fires and is working on a book about the global increase in wildfires.
0: John Daly is a fire expert from the University of Colorado in Boulder He's the director of the Center for Combustion and Environmental Research, and among his other honors is an honorary fellow of the American Institute of Astronautics and Aeronautics. His research interests include wildfire behavior. John and Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Good morning.
1: Um, I'd like to start with a question for Michael. Um, you've talked about the new fire climate. What is the new fire climate?
4: Well, uh if you look at uh, what we've got going on in colorado this particular summer i think in june we were down to about two to three percent of our normal snowpack in the high country and, uh, the, uh, reduced precipitation that we often get and the earlier, uh, melt-off of snowpack from high country is, uh, starting to be a, a very consistent, uh, phenomenon in wildfire in the West. Uh, there was a study out, uh, about five or six years ago that, uh, showed that in certain parts of the West and, uh, parts of Colorado, we're seeing a fire season that's almost two months longer than it was historically because streams and, uh, and rivers are drying up uh, quicker, and consequently, forests are drying up quicker. And uh, in the case of uh, a really weak snowpack, like we've got this year, it leaves high country timber that often isn't uh, heavily impacted by wildfire uh, very vulnerable.
1: And you've uh, you've been traveling all over the world working on your book Mega Fire. Do you see similar trends all over the world?
4: Um, you do. You do. It doesn't necessarily reflect in um, snowpack. In the case of the Mediterranean, we're seeing desertification in a number of countries that have a very serious wildfire problem, like Greece and Spain and Israel. And uh, in other places, like uh, Russia, we are seeing where uh, snowpack and, and rivers are getting drier and certain forests are getting drier, and that's leading both to moored wildfire and also a uh, change of the species that make up those, those forests.
0: So, in addition to a lengthening of the season, you see a change in the uh, in the fuels
4: uh, yeah, we do see a change in the fuels. Uh, there are certain uh, tree species that are replacing others and in parts of Colorado and in particularly uh, you know uh, farther to the southwest we 're seeing a lot of grasses that come in. Uh, into the forest. Uh, some of them are, are, are very flammable, uh, like cheatgrass. And so uh, after a fire, uh, a lot of people will think that, well, if that forest is burned, we're not actually looking at a fire problem for a long time. But if it turns out that it's uh, certain grasses or other species that aren't uh, natural to that forest that come in, you may be looking at uh, an acceleration of the fire cycle in that area.
0: Well, that certainly surprises me that different grasses have a different flammability. Um, uh, John, can you speak to uh, can you speak to that uh, the flammability of these different species?
2: Well, all fuels. Uh, there are many different types of wildland fuels, ranging from grasses all the way, of course, to big trees. Um, they all burn differently in terms of how fa- how easy they are to ignite and and uh, how fast they burn in a wildly in fire situation. Um, the, the current situation, of course, is that we have extreme dryness. We haven't seen this kind of dryness in quite a long time. And um, we also have had a series of, and I'm speaking just of Colorado at the moment, uh, we've also had this series of dry storms Um, that like to boom, flash and boom, and not uh, then come through with any rain. And so uh, we've had an enormous number of ignition events. I was watching the evening news last night, and they were saying that there was something like uh, 180 to 250 lightning strikes per half hour uh, going on at that moment uh, yesterday evening around 6 o'clock. So um, uh, this then leads to something that I did want to say, and that is that fire is part of our natural world. Um, Tree ring evidence suggests that uh, in the Ponderosa Pine belt of the Rocky Mountains, that fire had occurred prior to Europeans coming here, uh, approximately every 20 years. Uh, And uh, one of the reasons that we are getting these big fires is that we have 100 years of fire suppression history behind us. Um, And when fires were burning every 20 years, even if it was grass and it burned rapidly, it didn't tend to do nearly as much damage uh, as um, when you have a big buildup of fuels uh, uh, from years of fire suppression.
4: Yeah, speaking to... uh John's mention of, of, you know, grassy fuels and the fact that, you know, fire is part of all of these ecosystems. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, the day after the Waldo Canyon fire started, Colorado actually had its fourth largest wildfire in history. And that was a grass fire that started when a tire blew out on a car out on the eastern plains and sparks from the rim of the wheel spinning ignited grasses. And and really, uh, grasses can burn so fast. They're a, what, what's called a flashy fuel that uh, that had set that record in just a matter of hours
0: and that was the last chance fire
4: that was the last chance fire
0: right and it, it uh, was what over 38,000 acres in a matter of ten hours or something like something that. something like that yeah. yeah
2: yeah in less than a day so to give you an idea uh, of how fast fires spread um, they can spread extremely slowly um, say a foot a minute or something like that and if you have a litter and no wind no slope um, and it, that can go up to um, 1,000 or 1,500 feet per minute um, under wind conditions. Um, uh, dry short grass in particular will burn very rapidly. Um, uh, uh, the Bach uh, family, uh, both of whom were professors of uh, wildlife biology um, at the University of Colorado, Um, have reported on events they have seen in which uh, a grass fire would start in the Plains uh, area. Um, But grass fires don't have a lot of energy. And uh, uh, what they reported was seeing buffalo um, faced with this fire coming toward them, and the buffalo would all get in a line. The big ones would go first, down in size, and they just run right through the flame front uh, because there's not a lot of energy. You could not do that um, you could have not done that in, in the High Park High Park Fire or the Waldo Fire uh, because you're talking about seriously large-scale fuels burning with a tremendous amount of energy and uh, crowning events where you have flames hundreds of feet high, um, very high energy. Uh, but those fires, too, can travel very, very rapidly, as happened in the Waldo Fire case.
4: Um, yeah, one... Um one aspect of the of the fire problem here in Colorado, and this is uh, relates to uh, um, a couple of stories that uh, appeared in the last uh, week uh, through the iNews network that I worked on, is the increase of development into fire-prone landscapes, and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's important to realize that uh, as we build farther and farther into the forest, we're actually adding a new fuel to the forest with our homes, and we're actually uh, adding a lot of sparks. And so in a lot of environments, we have gone from um, a fire cycle that is almost entirely natural to a fire cycle that is almost entirely man-made. I mean, we think in terms of of arson or, you know, know, fireworks or things like that, but uh, power lines that we put into our forests start fires and sparks from cars. And uh, in fact, one researcher I interviewed at the, the University of Montana cited a couple of studies that showed in incredibly dry situations in uh, grassy areas, golfers have accidentally started fires when they hit a rock with their golf club, and that sent a spark into the grasses.
2: As a golfer, I played um, uh, golf a couple of years ago at Wente Brothers in the Livermore Valley of California, and this is an area where they have to be very careful of fires. Um, there is a there is a house rule that you are not allowed to hit a golf ball in the rough, because the dry grass rough precisely because of this reason, and they have had this happen. So it's real. Wow.
0: <laughs> so is it is it because the grasses are like a, a matchbook because of the silica? What's well, if you hit out?
2: a rock with your club, you'll make a spark, and and these are very very dry grasses. So
0: so are the. Um, so, man-made structures uh, or human-made structures are around all the time. Have we seen a change in the seasonal distribution of wildfires? Are we seeing more fires in the winter months because there are uh, human-made fuels available at all times?
2: Well, I think I think the major shift in when fires are occurring is is due to climate um, and and the the moisture state of fuels fuel the. The ability of a fuel to burn is strongly related to how much moisture there is in it. Um, And uh, if you're interested, uh, uh, anyone that's interested should Google NIFC, NIFC, National Interagency Fire Center, and you can find a tremendous amount of data about fires there. One of the things that you can get to through that site um, is the the, f- the fire fuel moisture map you can find on any given day of the year, you can find out a, a general assessment of moisture content of fuels around the country. Um, so this is something that fire managers uh, pay very close attention to in terms of planning and so on. They look at these nationwide maps and they distribute resources and, and so on uh, according to what predictions will be in terms of, in terms of dryness. Um, in order for a fire to occur, every firefighter learns about the fire triangle. Uh, for, in order for a fire to occur, you must have fuel, you must have oxygen, and you must have an ignition source. Heat, which is heat, basically heat. A match is something that creates heat. Uh, so, um, right now we have a lot of fuel, it's very dry, we have plenty of oxygen in the atmosphere, 20% of our atmosphere is oxygen. And, um, and we have ignition sources. We have either lightning or we have, as was mentioned, we have cars generating sparks, golfers generating sparks, and so on, and, uh, or people doing it on purpose for their various reasons. Um, and uh, so um, uh, that is reality. Um, let me say a little bit about housing. Um, there is, uh, a lot that one can do. I lived up in the mountains above Boulder for several years, uh, and one of the first things that happened, every time anybody moves up into the mountains, they get a visit from the volunteer fire department within a few days, and they say, you've got to cut that down, and trim that, and mow that, and clean up that, um, uh, so there is a lot of things that, there are a lot of things that people can do to protect their houses if they're up in the so-called wildland-urban interface, um, although those folks in the springs um, were in a normal subdivision, and they were just adjacent to an area that was burning. And they were just interviewing someone from that from that subdivision this morning as I was coming in, and, and uh, what ignited those houses were brands being carried from, uh, from crowning, the crowning fire that was up above them. In other words, the fire didn't proceed into the subdivision. What happened was that brands of fuel were, uh, you know, branches, burning branches were blown over into the subdivision. So, um, to protect your house in a situation like that, you, you know, houses that have fire Roof roofs are going to fare better. Houses that have, um, what am I looking for, the kind of siding that doesn't burn. V- A variety of uh, sidings, sidings, but you can certainly have insulated yeah, concrete even that some people build in. Right. Another thing that is interesting is that many house fires, during wildland fires, many houses that catch on fire, actually the ignition occurs inside the house from radiation through the windows. And so, another thing that they tell you is if you have highly reflecting window coverings, this is a good thing uh, because you will heat things up in the house from radiation through the windows, and the house will often ignite that way. And, uh, of course, p- things piled around the house. Some people, you know, you go up to some of these mountain houses and you see, well, they have all winter, winter's worth of firewood piled up against the house. Well, it's probably not a good idea.
4: Um, You know, uh, they have a, if you look at the aerial photographs of the Waldo Canyon fire and the subdivisions that burned, um, you see something here that I haven't seen in Colorado before, I have seen in California, where you have houses burned right down to their foundation and then around that house, the trees will still be green so it's not really a forest fire that came in and destroyed this house with a crown fire these were firebrands and embers that traveled well in front of the fire and one of the aspects of these more intense fires particularly out of out of uh, forests that have had a lot of suppression so you have this build up of, of fuel is that they can send firebrands far higher in the atmosphere so they can travel farther in front of of the fire front and uh, one of the things that's been consistent at uh, every major fire I've gone to in Colorado this year, since the Lower North Fork Fire, is that the incident managers have said two things, and one is that this is fire behavior that we've never seen before. In the case of the Waldo Canyon Fire, there was you know when when that thing exploded, it was exploding on several different fronts. It wasn't moving in just one direction. It was moving in a bunch of different directions, which obviously is very challenging for firefighters. And uh, the other thing is that they've said is that these are the fire that we've been afraid of and so they're aware of what's coming
1: and could you comment also in um, in the article that that you published in the denver post this weekend you said it's clear that colorado forests burn hotter faster and more destructively than most could you comment on that
4: well, you know, we've got a few things in Colorado aside from just fuel, um, uh, particularly here on the Front Range and what we saw with with the Four Mile Canyon fire. I mean, we have very steep terrain. We have lots of uh, canyons that function as chimneys. So when fires get into areas like that and they're really overgrown, not only do you have a lot of fuel that can burn really hot, but you have something that's really concentrating the energy of that fire so it can move uh, with incredible speed. Speed and force, and we've seen a lot of that with with the High Park Fire and, and the Waldo Canyon Fire, and uh, you know the uh, uh, this is a this is an area that is really uh, affected by these climatic changes. So when we have a very bad winter and a really weak snowpack like we've got this year, you have incredibly dry fuel.
2: There's a classic example of that in a fire that killed 14 firefighters a number of years ago, and that's the South Canyon Fire by Glenwood Springs. And uh, that fire started in Gambrel Oak, or in the duff underneath Gambrel Oak, and it started up high in this side canyon. And it very slowly, over the course of several days, progressed down the canyon, Um, and firefighters were working on the fire, and it was very slow burning. Um, And then the weather changed and the wind started to blow. And the consequence of that slow fire down the hill had dried the upper stories of the Gamble Oak out quite a bit. And so when the wind started, um, all of a sudden, and the wind was flowing actually up the canyon in that case, all of a sudden the fire took off and caught these firefighters who were up at the head of the canyon. Um, And it went from something that was crawling along at a foot per minute or something that was moving at a thousand feet per minute. Just bang like that, and, and that has happened in these fires over the course of the last couple of weeks.
1: Well, I wish we had more time to continue with this, but we're out of time, so thanks John Daly of CU Boulder and Michael Cotis of Narrative Light for joining us today to talk with us uh, about wildfires in our state. We'll all be hoping for more rain and less lightning.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: That's all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced by Tom McKinnon and engineered by Jim
1: Pullen. Susan Moran is our executive producer. The theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from The Grateful Dead.
0: Can't listen to How on Earth at our regular time? No worries. Just go to howonearthradio.org and subscribe to our podcast using the iTunes button.
1: Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303 447 9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bartel.
0: And I'm Jim Pullen.